to Ephesians 2, verse 13 to 22. You can open up uh, the app on your phone if you have it. Open up your Bible or go sit next to a Christian. Either one knows the work. Should be fine. Okay, Ephesians 2, verse 13 to 22. Look for it. Index and maps. <laughs> you find it between index and maps. Okay. It's in the New Testament. It's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Wait, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna miss it. I'm on the spot. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So it's just after Galatians. Okay. So you can look for it in the New Testament. It's one of the first letters there. So Ephesians 2. And you can just keep your Bible open there if you have your Bible. Uh, we'll see if the aim is sorted. We'll see if we can put it up there for today. We'll have a bit of grace, but we'll just keep it there. Ephesians 2. Now, keep it open there, but don't look at it yet. I'm going to preach about that in a moment. What I first want to do is I want to speak about the world that we live in at the moment. And then what I want to do is take Ephesians 2 that I'm going to speak about and show you how Ephesians 2 speaks directly to us in the situation that we are. First, we're going to understand what Ephesians 2 meant for the original years, and then what it means for us today, because it does mean something for us today. We are able to read a 2,000-plus-year-old document, and it's able to speak into the world that we live in today. So let's speak about the world that we live in today. This is going to be a tiny bit of philosophy, so I'm going to try my very best and, and master all of the uh, explanation juice that I have in my brain to make it as little not complicated, but that we, you can follow with me. But it really is important to understand that all of us live in a world that has a certain way of thinking. And the way that the world thinks, if you are not careful, influences the way that you think. It's, the, it's this common analogy that people use and ask, does a fish know that it's wet? What do you think? Does a fish know that it's wet? No? Yes? No? Who says yes? <laughs> Who says no? Alright, the fish probably doesn't know that it's wet because all that it knows is water. In the same way, in the world that we live, there's a certain way of thinking. And if we are not careful, we start thinking like the world without ever realizing it. But the Bible many times, like Ephesians 2, comes and it cuts through the way that the world thinks and shows us that we as Christians should think a different way. So, the world that we live in, one of the main themes, one of the main, everything with the hashtag is probably from the devil, I think. <laughs> Basically, everything with the hashtag is like evil. So, one of those hashtags or, or ways of thinking that the world has, has gone on lately is something that I'm actually not allowed to preach about today because I'm a white man. If Godfrey was up here and he spoke about it, it would have been fine. But because I'm white, I'm, I'm technically not allowed because of the way of the thinking of the world allowed to speak about it. But I think that's nonsense. I think as a pastor, I think as an elder, I should be able to speak up about the things that influences us as Christians today, and it's just as people in, in this world, because God has given me that, um, that authority to speak into your lives, and I don't take it lightly, I think it's something that I should do. Is it scary? Yes, it's scary. I don't like speaking about these things, but last year, um, let me first tell you this. The reason I say that is I, I want to speak for a moment about racism, um, and in South Africa, and actually not just in South Africa, but, but for us in South Africa, 
racism is still very alive and very active. Amen? Hmm. There's still a lot of racism going on in our country. And there's a lot of tension, actually, between white people and black people in our country. And probably between colored people and black or white people in our country as well. And probably between Asians and Indians. But for, for, the, for the sake of the argument, I just want to speak about the tension in South Africa between white people and black people. Because there's a lot of tension. And we think that it's primarily a South African issue. But last year, where I comes from in the United States, there was a movement that sort of sprung from the United States. I sometimes say the divided states of America because it, it sometimes does come across as so divided. Called the Black Lives Matter movement. Anyone ever heard of the Black Lives Matter movement? Okay. I'm going to speak about it for a moment. So you have to follow me and you have to allow me to maybe step on your toes a bit so that I can bring scripture in. I'm going to try my very best to not step on any toes, but I understand with a topic like this, I can't not speak about it, but sometimes it does um, actually step on toes. But what happened was, there was this guy called George Floyd, and he uh, wasn't a good guy, actually, if you go read up, he wasn't like this hero, he wasn't a martyr for black people, he was actually not a, he was not a good bloke. Um, he did a couple of very stupid things in his life, including holding a gun against a pregnant woman's baby. He did that. He was not a good guy. But what George Floyd did is, he was outside of a supermarket, and a policeman arrested him for whatever reason. And outside of the supermarket, the, the policeman put him, the white policeman, there were others as well, of different races, but the white policeman put him on the floor and put his knee in George Floyd's neck. And as George Floyd was on the floor, he kept grasping, gulping uh, for air and saying, I can't breathe, please get off. And the policeman wouldn't get off and he kept his knee on his neck. And George Floyd passed away. He died because of this incident. For those of you who didn't follow it. And out of this incident, it was like a worldwide movement was sprung up uh, called the Black Lives Matter movement. And some of you who have read up about this would have heard about the critical race theory movement. It's a, it's a movement uh, about this. And there was this big movement, but what we don't know is actually the Black Lives Matter movement is an organization that has been in existence for a long time before that. It didn't start with George Floyd. It was just where it came to preeminence with George Floyd. And there was a big worldwide movement where everyone all of a sudden started speaking about racism. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. Is racism a problem in our world? Yes. Yes. Is racism something that God doesn't like? Yes. Is racism then something that Christians should be against? I want to hear you. Yes. It's not something to be confused about. The Bible is quite clear on it. It's, it's wrong, right? So what the Black Lives Matter movement is doing is it goes and it jumps on a problem which many people can identify with. In fact, almost everyone, because most people know that racism is wrong. So everyone jumps on the bandwagon and says, obviously Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Obviously it does, eh? Does it? Yes, it does. And Christians, I'm afraid, have also jumped onto the bandwagon not knowing that there's an underlying current in this movement that is actually demonic to its core that I want to speak about for a moment. But what we do is, the Black Lives Matter movement went and identified a real problem, which is racism. But the solution they put forth is not a biblical solution. The way in which they try and fight racism is not how the Bible teaches us to fight racism. And what many Christians unfortunately have done, and those of you who are studying at university, you will get bombarded by this way of thinking. It's not about racism, it's going to be about other things, which we'll speak about in a moment. But what, 
what Christians have done is they've jumped onto this bandwagon and thought, yes, I'm against racism too. So I'm going to stand with this movement. But I used this analogy a while ago. It's like, it's like jumping onto one compartment of a train and not realizing that there are a bunch of other compartments hooked to that thing and it pulls you into, the, into a dangerous direction. Because actually it's demonic to its core. The problem is real. Racism is an issue. Racism was not eradicated in 1994 in our country. It wasn't. The solution we'll get to later. Ephesians speaks about it. So we speak about the Black Lives Matter movement, the, the critical race theory, and I want you to see this picture with me. I'm, again, I'm trying to explain it in the best terms that I can possible. And what I'm going to do is I've got a document, and if anyone has questions about this, I'll forward it to you. It was written by one of the others in Josh Jen. Send it on to the leaders, and I can send it on to you if any one of you have questions. It's a brilliant document, 30 or 40 pages about this. But imagine for a moment that the Black Lives Matter movement is a branch on a tree. It's just one branch on a tree, but there are many other branches. But the tree, the stump of the tree, is something that is called neo-Marxism, or Marxism, based on the philosophy of a guy called Karl Marx. Anyone ever heard the name Karl Marx? Okay. Karl Marx is the father of Marxism. Other name for it is communism or socialism. Basically, it comes down to the same thing. And what neo-Marxism, or they call it this, um, the social Marxism movement, please follow me here, imagine that is the stump of this tree. Out of the stump of this tree are other branches that come out as well. So let me just speak about the branch of the tree. Marxism, basically, let me just say Marx, Karl Marx, started off as a Christian in his life. But then later on in his life, he not only became an atheist, he became an anti-theist, meaning anti-any God, anti-any religion. He was totally against religion. But what Marxism says is that, that Marxism Marx believed that he had the solution to sort and rectify the problems in this world. And so what Marxism does is it says, we want to pull everyone onto the same level. There, and, and anyway, so it says... Yeah, we want to pull everyone onto the same level. So there are these branches out of the tree. Black Lives Matter movement, that is one branch. Other things that you will get confronted with, it's the way of thinking in the world. Neo-Marxism, is, it's popping up everywhere. If you are studying anything, most probably it's going to come your way at some point. Other, other things. It says, blacks and whites. Whites are oppressors, blacks are oppressed. We need to pull those things together. Another branch. LGBTQI plus. That's what someone taught me. I think I'm saying it right. It says that anyone who has any other sexual orientation is oppressed. Everyone that is heterosexual, meaning a guy that likes a girl or a girl that likes a guy, you are an oppressor whether you like it or not. And so you should repent and you should bring yourself lower and we should bring, bring the minority we should bring up. That's another branch of this thing. Um, I wrote down a couple of examples here, let me just um, Transsexuals, it's the same thing. We say, if you are a man that believes that you should be a man, are a man, and if you're a woman that believes you're a woman and should be a woman, then you are an oppressor. Doesn't, doesn't matter whether you love transsexual people, uh, reach out to transsexual people, show love towards transsexual people, it doesn't matter like that. But you, well, you are an oppressor and transsexual people are oppressed and we need to pull those things together. We need to bring everyone in the world on the same level. That is the solution that neo-Marxism put, puts forth and says that this is the solution to the world. But I want to 
give you a quote from Marx himself, Karl Marx. He had an expose that he wrote, um, he had an expose that he wrote uh, about communism or Marxism, and this is one of the questions, and then he answers it himself. He says, do communists or Marxists reject existing religions? And the answer is, all religions which have existed hitherto were expressions of historical stages of development, which makes all existing religions superfluous and supersedes them. So what Karl Marx is saying is every religion was trying to rectify the problems in this world, but no one succeeded. But Marxism, which I'm imposing, this stump of the tree, I have the solution for all the problems of the world. I know how to bring social justice about. And it's by pulling everyone onto the same level. That's what he's actually trying to do. An analogy for how they try and do it is this. Imagine a 100 meter race, okay? What they say is, uh, the oppressors and the oppressed need to be put on the same page. So what we do is, we quickly do a race to see how fast each of us run. Now, I always tease Godfrey and say that I, I might have white privilege, but he's got black, black privilege. When he runs, he's just fit. He doesn't have to do anything. He's always fit, and I think that's black privilege, right? And the black privilege that he has is he's got rhythm, and I don't have rhythm. It's just this black privilege. But anyway, you can joke about these things as well. Um, but what you do is, let's say, for instance, that's not a good example, because he's going to beat me. Um, <laughs> let's, let's say a couple of us are running together. What we do is, we all run and we take our times. And then we see who's the, who's the fastest and who's the slowest. And then we stagger the start, depending on who's the fastest, then you stand back a bit. Who's the slowest, we put you in front. And then we do the race again, so that we run and everyone crosses the finish line at the same time. That's what they say, that's called equity, not equality. So they say, we're not gonna try and give everyone a fair shot at the beginning, so they would say eradicating racism is not saying, hey, my black brother or my Indian brother, it's okay, we, we can start at the same place. We give each other equal opportunity. It's not that. No, no, no. My black brother, you need to start there, I can start here because I'm oppressing you. And you are being oppressed by me. And I am a racist. And you are under racism. Whether I'm a racist or not, it doesn't matter. You get put into these groups. Now, are you still following me? Is it okay? Oh, shucks, I don't know. I think I've lost you guys. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try and not lose you guys. Um, so what I want to speak about is the fact that, yes, there is tension in our country and across the world between black and white people. Yes? Yes, yes there is. It's a problem that Christians should want to address and should not like and should repent of if you've got racism in your heart. However, the solution we find in a different place. So there's that tension. Now, that's where we get to the Bible. In the Bible, there was tension between two groups of people. They were called the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you think the tension between black and white people in the world is bad, the tension between Jews and Gentiles was much worse. And I want to give you a glimpse into how bad it was actually. In fact, these people, Jews and Gentiles, actually hated each other. The Jews, who were the people of God, the chosen people of God, rightly so, they had the promises of God, the ordinances of God, the laws of God. So they felt that they were holy and a pure people set apart by God. And they felt that all Gentiles, all non-Jews, 
were dirty, vile. They stayed away from them. They made physical barriers to actually keep them out of their places of worship, saying there's a division between us. And the Gentiles, on the other hand, they despised the Jews because they thought the Jews were proud. These are people that think they have everything. And they don't want to allow us in. They're proud and arrogant people. And so there was this hatred between these two groups of people. It's like racism just 2,000 years ago and worse. It was worse. Listen to this. There's this interesting story in the Bible in the book of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God. Who God, he was a Jew. And God said to this Jew, I want you to go to the Gentiles, the Gentile nation. And tell them about my love because I want to forgive them and I want them to repent. And Jonah hated the, the Gentiles so much that he ran to the furthest known town, Tarshish, as far as he could go away from the town Nineveh, where he had to. It wasn't Nineveh. Now I'm confused. Nineveh, where he had to go. He went to the furthest. If you go on the map, the furthest place he knew of was Tarshish. He went as far as he could away from it. He didn't want to go to them. He hated them. And then. Um, God actually had to send a fish, whether it was a whale or whatever it was, I'm not sure. And to send a fish to swallow this guy and spit him out and say, you are going to do it. You are going to go speak to them because I love those people and if you're my prophet, you're going to go speak. And listen to what Jonah says. And I don't know if you actually have it. And, uh, Jonah 4, verse 2 and 3. Do you have my scriptures? You don't? Okay, it's fine. Um, if you can WhatsApp Danielle, she can send it to you. Okay, I'm going to read it here. Jonah 4, verse 2 and 3. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read it to you. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Listen to this. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What Jonah was saying is, I would rather die than go to those ugly, filthy Gentiles. Even though, God, I know you want me to do it. Even though, God, you swallowed me in a fish and sent me there. Still, you were so hot-hearted. There was so much of a division and tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. I cannot overstate it. One of the main themes of the Bible is this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles in the New Testament. You'll find it as you read the Bible so many times. And there was such a, as I said, in the place of worship at the temple, the inner courts were where the Jews could come. And then there was a wall separating them and a balustrade around it. And then the Gentiles could come to the outside and they weren't allowed in. And um, that's where the book of Ephesians comes into this mess. So they've got this division between this group of people, but God isn't scared to speak. And God speaks through this guy called Paul, and he isn't afraid to step on toes. If you think it's a heated debate, racism in our country, the debate between Jews and Gentiles, it was worse. But God says, I'm going to speak through my man. He's going to step on toes. We're going to eradicate this problem. We're going to make you one. We're going to bring you together. So we get to the book of Ephesians. We're going to speak uh, about verse... Uh, chapter 2, verse 13 to 22, which speaks about this. So verse 13, if you've got your Bible, you can follow it there. Ephesians 2, verse 13. I'm reading out of the ESV. Last week I spoke about being <laughs> in Christ. Okay. Those of you who were there, I'm hoping you listened. I asked my wife who was with the babies last week. So what did I preach about? 
did listen. <laughs> I can't remember. I was like, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> Spoke about being in Christ. Um, where is my, my glass? Can, uh, can someone who's, who's going to help me climb? Is it on class, gracefully? And then I need about four or five of you with a bank card to get it out for me now, please. Just get a few cards. Anyone with a bank card, get a few of those out. Paul, I you can come stand on this side. Who has one for me so long? Yeah, thank you. Okay. I'm going to try and make it interactive. So last week, for those of you who missed it, Declan Boy Wilder. Last week, what we spoke about is um, when you become a Christian, not when you become a good Christian, just when you become a Christian, then God says that I see you as in Jesus. So for a moment, imagine that the water in this glass is Jesus. He's the living water in this glass. Now, when you become a Christian, the moment you get saved, the moment you give your life to Jesus, you are in Christ. I think it was the Lord. <laughs> You are in Christ. So, imagine that I'm God for a moment. I'm not. I'm not. I say this with respect. But if God looks at you, the moment you become a Christian, again, I want to emphasize this. Not when you become a good Christian. Just when you become a Christian, your identity changes. The moment you become a Christian, when God looks at you, it's not like he doesn't see your problems, even though you're in Christ. I can still see what it says there. Capitec, Mr... B. Patrick Kremen. I can see you still see all of those things. It says it out there. Patrick. Patrick Kremen. I can still see it. Oh, he's like he eats them out there. God still sees your mistakes. He's not blind. He's not blind. But God, every time God looks at you, He looks at you in context of Jesus. As a Christian, God will never not look at you. He will never look at you and not see Jesus first. Jesus dying on the cross for you is the first thing that God thinks about every time he looks at your life. And doesn't that liberate us as Christians, eh? And because your identity is someone that's in Christ, not like, oh God, I'm sorry for the sin I committed, and God says, I can't forgive you, now you're in me again. No, no, no. The moment you get saved, you're in Christ. Nothing changes that. Whether you sin or don't sin, your identity is someone that's in, that is in Christ. And so God looks at you and He sees you as in Christ. He sees what Jesus did on the cross every time. And that is why when I approach God, I don't do it in a cocky way, but I can do it, the Bible says, with boldness. Because I know Jesus, I'm not coming because I'm a perfect person. I'm coming because Jesus covers me. And you see what Jesus did for me. He died on the cross so that I can be forgiven. That's the first thing you say. Hallelujah. That's good news. Okay. Yeah, get up for the yeah, just keep it there. That was just what we spoke about last week. Just sit close. So, when, when we speak about in Christ, I want you to see that picture. So, Ephesians 2, verse 13 to 14. I don't know if you have it. You don't have it, it's fine. I'm going to read it. And you guys have got your Bibles. I did say we're not going to put it up there, so let me keep to my word. You can follow it or you can just listen to what I'm saying now. But now, in Christ Jesus, that was the theme of last week, you who were once far off, who was far off? The, no, not you, it's you, the Gentiles. The Gentiles were far off, but Jesus is saying, 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off the Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both, who's the both? Jews and Gentiles. And when we listen in our context, black and white, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, when you hear that, um, you can look at me again for a moment. Uh, at the temple, there was actually a big stone. I don't have my slides. So apologies for that for tonight, but I'm going to try and show you on here. I don't drop it. Um, ooh, can you see it? Okay. Can everyone see that? I'm going to try. Everyone see that? Okay. That is actually a stone that archaeologists found. It's just a stone. If you can't see it, just think of a stone with some inscription on it. Oh, whoa, I'm almost up. Um, there was a stone that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. So when they heard the dividing wall of hostility was broken, we don't know what that means, but the original hearers would have thought of this stone that was up that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. I want to read you what that stone says that archaeologists found and they translated it. It says, No stranger is to enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. You think that was hardcore? That was hectic. You think that, eh? Should I say it again? Okay? Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. Meaning, if you are caught, you are responsible for your own death. We are going to kill you, but it's your fault. Basically, that's what it says. It's like, come across this line and you're basically killing yourself. But I'm going to kill you, but you're killing yourself. That's what it says. So, that is racism on a different level. That is division among people groups on a different level. It's saying, you come here, we will kill you, but it's your fault. Your blood is not in my hands. So there was this massive division. And now Jesus speaks into that through Paul. Because the Bible was written through people, yes, but it's Holy Spirit inspired. And it says... Jesus broke down the divide in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. What they saw is that stone was broken down and the two can come together as one. You are no longer, I'm going to go to the next part now, but you are no longer only in Christ alone. The moment you become a Christian, the Bible teaches us that you are in Christ together with other people. Two become one in Jesus Christ. Listen to the language of becoming one. From verse 50, to verse 50. It says that God broke this wall of wall and he says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in all ordinances. What Paul is saying is, God took away the law for the Jews so that the Jews and Gentiles could become one, so that the Gentiles don't have to obey the law of the Old Testament. And someone say, hallelujah, we can eat bacon now. <laughs> hallelujah. Okay. That he might create in himself, listen to this, one new man in place of the two. So he's saying, no longer Jew and Gentile, we, we don't have that anymore. You are becoming one new man um, in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. For through Him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Colin, you can come stand here again. We're going to take the illustration further to explain what Paul is saying here. 
He's saying three times he mentions the word one. He likes to say something over and over so that you get it. So first he says, we become one new man. Where are the other people with cards? You can bring them to the front quickly. Because you no longer, it's no longer only Dean Cream and Patrick. Dean Patrick uh, Cream and only Christ. It is now other people as well. You can come. Just give me your pin codes as well when you send your, when you send your card. Okay, put it in there, put it in there. Okay. Hoi, hoi, we need more. We can't have just so few. Come send more. Send more cards. Okay, that should be disappeared. <laughs> okay, It's actually been thank you. License, thanks, alright. Okay. So, what Paul is saying is one new man. So these cards in effect shouldn't be one. We've got this um, silly saying that we say in Josh 10. It's not silly actually, it's quite political. Uh, when you become a new member, we joke. We say that when you become part of this set, what's in my fridge? <laughs> I'm kidding. Guys. Please laugh. It's just a joke. <laughs> we say some of you pray this prayer when you become a member of Josh 10. We say, what's in my fridge is? Yours. And what's in your fridges? Mine. Mine. And then all the Stellenbosch students are like, praise the Lord, because I don't have anything in my fridge. I don't have anything in my fridge. But actually it's quite biblical, because biblically what Paul is saying is we actually become one in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, you become, where's it done? Uh, one new man through one body, Jesus' body. And now if this is God, and that's Jesus, and that's, Jesus that's us, we have access through the Holy Spirit. Jesus saves us through the Holy Spirit to God, through one Holy Spirit. So it's this language of oneness all the time. All right. I baptize you. Thank <laughs> 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 you. Right. Okay. So whether you are black or white, whether you are colored or Indian or Asian, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are clever or not so clever, whether you are a musician or you can't hold your rhythm, whether you are a cyclist or a runner, whether you are blonde or brunette, whether you come from a rich background or you come from a poor background, it doesn't matter because in Jesus Christ, what Paul is saying is in your face, in Jesus Christ, you are not only you anymore, you are one new body in Jesus Christ. One new body. So racism has no place in us. And division has no place in us. We as the church should be a representation to the world when they look at us. Are you looking for your cards? And people are panicking now. <laughs> Promise we won't leave with your cards. <laughs> so in Jesus Christ, there is no longer place for racism. If you are a Christian, you truly a Christian, and you understand what it is to be in Christ, and to be in Christ with other people, then I can't say that, sorry, this is just the way that I think, and that's the way you think. No, we are supposed to be together. One of the, the, the critical race theory, they say we're not allowed to say the words colorblind, but actually what the scripture is saying is we are to be colorblind, and the church is supposed to be a model for the world, a prophetic picture, to the world to say, we come together, and although we don't have anything in common, Jesus Christ binds us together and He makes us one. 
And that is a miracle. It's a miracle that God does in our hearts. You can manufacture something. You can put all your theories across. Karl Marx can have his theories. And he can have the ways that it plays out. And they can try to the best of their ability to do behavior modification. They can have white people standing up and saying sorry for racism that they don't necessarily have. They can have heterosexual people saying sorry because they are heterosexual. They can have all of their things, but you know what you're going to do? All you do is you change people on the outside. You change their actions. Only when we come into Jesus Christ do our lives change. There's a miracle happen. When me and my wife, when my wife and I, when we got married, the Bible says uh, that we, you, you leave your father and your mother and you cling to your husband and the two become one flesh. Marriage is not only, and that's not only speaking about sex. I think it is speaking about sex as well, you become one flesh, but it's not only that. My wife and I are intricately together. It's a supernatural thing. I can't tell you how it happened. But when we got married and God's, God's blessing was on our marriage, we have become one. We two would be one. It doesn't make sense. But in our hearts, we know that God has made us one. And the Bible says, do not let anyone separate what God, tear apart what God has put together. That is why we shouldn't get divorced. That's why your parents shouldn't have gotten divorced. It's not why my parents shouldn't have gotten divorced. Because it wasn't meant like that. It's a miracle that God does when He puts two human beings together. Yo, alright. <laughs> it's a miracle. And in that same way, what the Bible is teaching us here is, when you become a Christian, when your life gets hidden in Christ, it gets hidden with other people and you become one with the people sitting around you who are also Christians. It's a miracle. The world can't explain it. When the world walks into this church and they look around, they should say, what the heck brings you guys together? They should say, you guys are so diverse. How does it make sense that you can love each other? How can it make sense that you guys are so diverse? This is what we're aiming for, but we can't do it. And we should say, yes, but we are in Christ. We're in Christ and in Christ together. That is why I can say that Maybe I'm going to do an illustration. Can you come stand here in front of me? Well, I need one of the girls. Yeah, yeah, come here, please. Okay. Previous time it was Godfrey. Every girl can stand here for me. Um, who else can I use? Luther, come stand here in front of me, please. Okay, but now I need a guy. That's a joke. Sorry. The long Okay, come stand here. Just stand together. Uh, Rudolf, come stand here as well. You guys, you four can stand there. They see each other. These four people probably don't have a lot in common. They don't. They are diverse, and if you were to speak to any one of them, you would realize that they think differently, they were brought up differently. I used the example in the previous service. I grew up in what would be called a middle-class area. Godfrey grew up, grew up in a township. We don't have much in common, actually. But Jesus Christ has brought us together. I can honestly stand with that man and say, He is my brother. Because God did something supernatural in my heart and in his heart, and we have become one. We are drawing supernaturally. Rudolf and I don't have much in common. He likes sports and running and so on, and I used to like it before I got old and fat, and now I don't like it anymore. I don't like it anymore. We used to run together and cycle together and so on, and then I got married and had twins, and now my life is over. <laughs> Luther and I don't have much in common. Luther is just too cool and I'm not that cool. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. It just doesn't work, right? 
Luther is just, he's like Jack Johnson, Christian. Like a Christian Jack Johnson. It's just, he oozes coolness, and I'm like, why don't you do that? It's so unfair. Um, it's just, we're different. Now I forgot your name, I'm stealing a blank. Carabo, sorry, sorry, I, I, it's a blank there. Carabo and I, don't, we don't have much in common. In fact, I don't know that well. <laughs> she's a woman, I'm a guy. We don't have much in common. If you were to speak to us, you would say, we come from much different places. Abigail and I don't have much in common. We don't have much in common. But we've got Jesus Christ in common. And because we've got him, God has intricately bound us together. And we have become brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, when Jesus lived on the earth, he said, when they all said, your mother, and your, your mother and father are here to see you, he said, who is my mother? Who is my father? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? But those who do the will of the father. Jesus was flipping the this, this script completely by saying, it's not only my physical family, but in Jesus, miraculously, we have become family. We look totally different. We think totally different. We act totally different. We like totally different things. But the miracle of God is that He's put us together in Christ. We have become family. Now we should act like it. And we should repent if there's anything that divides us. Whether that's offense, whether it's prejudice, whether it's uh, racism, whatever it is, we should each of us repent and take personal responsibility and say, God, do a miracle in my heart. And then the church becomes a picture to the world. And the world thinks, how do you guys get it right? And we can say, Jesus. 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 We can say you're looking in the wrong places for the solution. Jesus does the miracle in our hearts. It's a personal thing that he does in our hearts. It's not just group identity politics. Thanks, you can go sit down. Give them a round of applause for being so Verse 26. I've been preaching quite long. Um, verse 26 says, Oh. Yes. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. 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 <laughs> no, verse 26. In the Latin International Version, you can turn to verse 26. Okay. No, Galatians 3, verse 26 to 29. You don't have to turn there, you can read it later on. It's so interesting because Paul wrote Galatians as well. Listen to how he says it. The same language. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We spoke about that. Ladies, you are sons of God as well. Through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Greek is basically another term for the Gentiles. Right? Because they were the Greeks were around them. Paul is saying there is no longer Jew nor Greek. In our context, what I'm speaking about, there is no longer black or white. Color blindness is something that can exist. There is neither slave nor free. Listen to this, this is radical. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, is according to the promise. What a miracle. What a miracle. God says you've all become one. Actually, although there are differences, those differences make no difference at all. Because we are one in Jesus Christ. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 19, I'm going to go on with this passage. Paul says, I'm, I've just got a few verses left and I'm going to end. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, speaking to the Gentiles, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Hear this. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. Jesus is saying we together have become a house for the presence of God. If we are all going to look the same and think the same, that is not a true representation of the kingdom of God and our house of God. But in our diversity, we actually learn from each other. We glean from each other. I learn more about Christ because of this church, because I'm in church. I see more of Jesus than I would have on my own because God created the church and He created us to be together. And that is such an amazing thing, actually. And He says that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. If anything else is a cornerstone, then we are wrong. If the way that you think is a cornerstone, you're wrong. If the amount of money that you have is a cornerstone, then you are wrong. Then we're not going to be together. When it comes to church, if the worship is the cornerstone of this church, then, sorry, wrong church. Our worship isn't always that great. Because we don't want that. That's not what we aim for. Jesus should be the cornerstone. If the preaching is, is the cornerstone of this church, and if the preacher falls away, everything falls flat, then that is not built on Jesus. But when we say no, it's a, a group of sinners, a group of people who are lost actually, but we come together and Jesus saves us and He places us in Him. He is the cornerstone. He is what binds us together. That is the miracle that the world is looking for. That is the picture that we want to show to the world. Last verse, verse 22. In Him, again that language, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. And I want to emphasize the words, being built together. When God builds His church, He doesn't build it only individuals. He builds people together. We live in a society that is so obsessed with me, me, me. And Bible language is we, we, we. It's a togetherness. <laughs> Don't quote me on that, right? <laughs> Don't put that on your Facebook, Leonard. Bible language is we, we, we. <laughs> we have to at least spell it right. Don't double E, just one E, okay? Us, us, us. That's about Bible language, okay? It speaks about a togetherness. But we are so selfish in the times that we live now. We think, I come to church for my sake. I come to church to learn. I read the Bible for me. I repent of my sins because I want to be closer to God. No, the Bible says, Together we are being built into a temple for the Lord. When God dwells amongst us, He dwells amongst us, not just you as an individual. And you are going to experience more of God if you plug into family, if you say, I'm being built together with these people. Diverse, yes. Think like me, no. Do I like them always? No. Do I love them? Yes. And I'll love them until I like them. That's the way that we should be. But work past our differences and actually come to know if we are one in Christ, then we should act like we are one in Christ and be a picture to the world.